So 20 years ago, I mentioned this in the service but I, a couple weeks ago, but I didn't go into any depth. But 20 years ago, Valentine's Day, last Valentine's Day, um, got a call from Jeff Wenzel and um, they said Ernest's sister Sheila had been murdered by her husband and then he killed himself. So I met Ernest at the airport and um, we, we didn't talk all the way to Connecticut, not a single word. And then um, he went straight, we got to the, got a cab, went to the house. He went straight upstairs, closed the door. The women were all uh, wailing, and then the men were upstairs talking about killing um, Sheila's husband's twin brother and his mom and dad. So I went into Ernest's room and said, are they, are they venting or planning? He said, they're planning. So I spent the rest of the night trying to convince them not to go kill that family. So that's the backstory. This This was about a month ago at my house, and... Um, it was a great time. We had, um, you can see all the bacon and, um, and, and biscuits and gravy, all kind of stuff. And um, it was the first, that was the first time since 20 years ago that I'd been with his whole family together. And as, as I broached the subject, um, tears and anger came very quickly. And one brother said, if I see his twin brother, I think I would kill him. And he, he, his twin, the twin brother um, still lives in Hartford, so... And fortunately, his brother hasn't, Ernest's brother hadn't seen him. And Ernest reminded them of his mother's example. His mother had grown up semi-literate in um, Selma, Alabama. Her husband left them when they were little. She had to work night and day to raise them. Very difficult situation um, to be a black family in Selma in those days. And then they moved to Connecticut. It wasn't much better. And Ernest's mom had come to Christ after Ernest did. Ernest was a part of her coming to Christ. And Ernest was in a store. They were in a store just a day after, a day or two after Sheila died. They were in a store, and his mom went over and hugged this man and came back. And Ernest said, who was that? And he said, that was the dad of the man who killed your sister. The backstory on that was this guy was a pastor. Um, Ernest's mom had called him the day before Sheila died and said, I'm worried about your son, worried about my daughter. And he said, I don't have time for that nonsense, and hung up on her. And so when Ernest heard that who it was, he was furious that his mom was hugging her. And his mom said, he's got his own load to bear. So Ernest reminded him of that story. And then, um, again, everybody calmed down. Just hearing his mom's story um, brought peace back to the table. And I was pondering all this as I was watching how the gospel had penetrated this family. A couple of his brothers had been to prison, um, but the gospel had changed them. And what would it be like had the gospel not come to that family? Now, it hadn't kept them from hard times, and that's an understatement. But the entire family has been changed by the gospel, and I was thinking about, as I thought about that, how good it is to remind ourselves of these things, how essential it is, how life-changing the gospel truth has shaped this family has kept them from being destroyed by anger and bitterness. The truth allowed them to reorient themselves to life and one another. The gospel power is true. And so I'm going to return to Hebrews 10 from last Sunday, but I'm going to hone in and focus that passage on you as a group leader or a leader assistant. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience 
and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what I want to give you tonight as a, a foundation for group leadership this year is the reason, the results, and the responsibility of our confidence. The reason for our confidence here is the gospel. We, we've become used to the fact that we can come to God without a sacrifice. We don't have to pay any dues. We don't have to beat ourselves like Martin Luther did trying to, trying to get rid of his sin. We can come to God without anything except confidence, and the reason for that is the gospel. And we don't have to feel confident. We don't have to try to muster up confidence, but we must nurture confidence in the gospel. We're to do this ourselves, and we're to do this nurturing our confidence through gratitude, active gratitude, thinking about what Christ has done through intentional reflection, that's where quiet times and prayer, uh, and thinking about how, how Christ wants us to train to be like him. And those things happen in group life. Gratitude, intentional reflection on the word and praying together, and then just training together to be like Christ. That's how we nurture this confidence. Those things happen in group life. And so I want to, the, the first challenge in nurturing our confidence in the gospel is, is to don't look for home runs in group life. Get base hits. Shoot, take a walk if you can get it. It doesn't matter. Get on base. Don't measure by perfectionism. I'm going to coin a term, measure by directionism. My group is not that close. My group doesn't show up very often. My group, whatever. But are they moving in a direction? Are you moving in a direction? How do you measure this? And in Hebrews 11, the very next chapter, we get what's sometimes called the hall of faith, and the writer of Hebrews says there over and over, by faith they did this, by faith they did that, by faith they obeyed, by faith they won wars, by faith they lost their lives. Just about every human aspect of human life is portrayed, and they did it by faith. And my personal application for Hebrews 11 is I want this to be true of me. By faith, Terry loved his wife till death parted them. By faith, Terry showed up for his friends in a small group. By faith, Terry walked with God through good and bad times. And you say, how is that by faith? Well, the whole point of that chapter is everything we give our lives to is by faith. Every minute we spend, every hour, every day is by faith. Faith that this is the right, this is the valuable, this is the best way I'm going to spend my life. And by faith, we do the small things in front of us to do by faith, we live in the will and ways of God, not in the ways of the world, not in the ways of our own designs. So in small group, just by showing up, just by making the sacrifice to be there, we're helping people live by faith. It's not spectacular in the moment. When Abraham left Iraq by faith, he went to the place God would show him. And we read about that a millennia later. And we know now that was the beginning of the people of God leading all the way to the Savior. But what would it look like on that night when they got up or that early morning and you were there? You're saying, okay, I'm gonna, I get to watch a video of the people of God beginning. It would look like people loading up donkeys, sleepy, people fussing at one another, little kids with tummy aches, and all walking somewhere. And you go, that was it? That was the birth of the people of God and I, I assure you, it looked unspectacular. That's how by faith looks in the real world. So measure your group leadership with a long view. Don't drive home in the car and think nothing happened. Nonsense. By faith, your group met. 
By faith, you led your group. By faith, you're giving your life to align with the truth of the gospel. And there's nothing more important than that. Group nurtures confidence in the gospel. Confidence to live by faith. And then the results of our confidence are we are forgiven. Guilt is a weight. Guilt is a shame. Guilt is mind-numbing. Guilt is joy-robbing. Guilt makes us passive. Guilt makes us defensive. Guilt separates us from God and ourselves and one another. But we're forgiven. We have confidence that we're forgiven, and now we have to hold on to the confidence. And the freedom from guilt transforms all relationships. And it's really difficult for people to move through life under a load of guilt. Even, even when people who have believed the gospel, they need your help to remember that they can have confidence in forgiveness, and it's difficult to lead under a load of guilt. And so God wants to bless others through you. Do you feel unworthy? And it's okay it's, if you do, it's, but it's not always about you. What do they need from you? What does God want to do through you? I often show up to lead somewhere painfully aware of my own shortcomings, but I remember I'm here, I'm called to lead for the glory of God, so, so my wounded leadership is going to reveal Christ more and me less. And then there's a the responsibility of our confidence. We're to hold to this responsibility of our confidence. We're to consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not stop meeting together. So consider means to contemplate, think practically about, be specific in, how do I make faith active? Consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Love and good deeds is faith made active, moving out into the world. So how do I help the people in my life move into actional faith? And then meet is we show up. That's the bottom line. How do I help make community habitual and encourage? How do I pour encouragement in? How do I let people pour encouragement into me? How do I make encouragement reciprocal? So how can you as a leader ensure that you and those who you lead hold on to their confidence? Well, these are three things from the passage. Make faith active, make community habitual, make encouragement reciprocal. Make faith active. How do we spur one another on towards love and good deeds? And you may sometimes hear or even think, what we need is more in-depth Bible study in, in, in group or in people's lives. You can go to seminary. I mean, you can go pretty much any seminary in the country now online. You can go to River Training Center. Uh, Aaron's going to talk about that Sunday. You can read commentaries. You can study Greek. Nothing's stopping you. But there's no in-depth Bible study without love-life application. And if your group were to learn and to apply a single passage this whole year, it would be better by far than if they mastered systematic theology in depth and applied none of it. So what are the ways you can turn your faith into actions? How do we make faith active? First, by making community habitual. Showing up is bottom line. How do you cast vision for just showing up? And I know this is one of your frustrations, but... Inevitably, the person who's not showing up is the person who over time is struggling the most. How do you make meeting together habitual? I have a, a friend who had not been in the church his whole adult life. A couple, two years, well, three years ago, 2019, he ran into some great personal difficulties. Um, I knew his dad. I actually didn't know him. He called me, and we became friends. And after his whole adult life, he's in his late 50s of not being in church, in three years, he's made community habitual. And he ran into some more recent um, difficulties. And the difference between him now and him then is, is amazing. And the difference is in those three years, 
He's made showing up a priority. That's it. You say, well, making, making community habitual, I don't want it to be a habit. Well, you absolutely do. There are good habits and bad habits, and one of the goals of life is to habitualize good things, habitualize kindness or right speech, habitualize showing up, because from habit you can more easily go to heart. And if you haven't made something habitual, you're always starting over. It's hard to get to the heart level if you haven't even worked at the habit level. So I, have, I now have decades almost 40 years of watching this experiment of the power of faithfulness. I believed it by faith 40 years ago or so, and now I believe it by sight. For me, the results are conclusive. The people who have consistently shown up, and if, so, if that's kind of almost all they've done, they've showed up, they've thrived. Because if you keep showing up, stuff happens over time. The people who fail to show up or have intermittently shown up have not thrived. So grit, endurance, perseverance at its basic level is just a decision to show up. And it takes faith to show up. Because often you say, I don't see this working. I've, been, I've shown up for group for a year. I don't see it working. But God says it does. I'm going to show up. I have other things I could be doing, but God said this is valuable. And so for you to keep showing up and investing in people leading group takes gritty faith. Because it's personally costly. And I'm almost 64. I've been investing in others for about 45 years, and I've made tons of mistakes. But I'll say this. The one mistake I haven't made is I haven't stopped showing up. i made tons of mistakes, but I haven't made that one. And when you keep putting seeds in the ground, you keep watering, weeding, working, and waiting, the harvest will start rolling in. And if you continue, the harvest does as well. And if there's no gaps in showing up, there's not going to be any gaps in harvest. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So here, here's my testimony to you. The best way to spend your life is keep showing up. I, I got to train with Justin's chaplain team today. There's, there's seven of us, and then a guy from Topeka came down out here. And I was just listening to stories, watching, and thinking about my life with him. And I was thinking about just the, the plain old power of showing up. Cast vision for showing up, making community habitual, connected, intentional relationships. And community is habitual when people begin to find a way to engage it no matter what else is happening in their lives. And you may say, I've got people that's never going to happen. Just keep, keep casting vision, cast a positive vision for it because some, when people get it, and I've got a friend who several years ago got it after years of not getting it, and he's a different man. Three years later, he's a totally different man. And I know that because he went through a set of trials recently that would have undone him three years ago, and it did not. What was the difference? Three years of showing up. So, how do we help people make faith active and community habitual? How do we do that? And then the last one is making encouragement reciprocal. Encourage one another. I spoke with a friend recently who feels like encouragement in group life is not always reciprocal. And when this person sometimes shares deeply on important issues, they sometimes feel like they get a non-response. And this person said, thought briefly, you know, why even show up? Or why put myself out there? Now this is a good and faithful person who's honest and teachable. And so this person is going to keep showing up. But they were just being honest with me. But it's hard when you feel like encouragement is not reciprocal. So what are we to do, particularly as leaders? 
Well, we keep modeling encouragement. We, we keep making life about God and others, and this is where the joy and power for us is. People, I've said it a hundred times, people are challenged by your strengths and encouraged by your weakness, and they need both. And we need to seek to encourage one another by revealing both sides of our lives. Talking about our strengths, talking about our weakness. We model the transformational power of encouragement. Keep doing it. And that word for encourage one another, parakaleo is a word that means to call alongside. We get the word paraclete, the word for the Holy Spirit, comes from the same root. He's the comforter. And his encouragement is encouraging, comforting one another by coming alongside them. Pour encourage in. Courage to keep engaging with others when there's risk of being hurt and disappointed. Courage to live by faith, believing that what's not seen but is real is worth giving our lives for. Driving home from group again and thinking, nobody talked. Or he talked the whole time again, or whatever. So this is how I see small group. This is how I see you. No one has greater responsibility in church life than you do. No one has a greater privilege in church life than you do. And how many times you see let us in this passage, the term let us, let us draw near, let us hold unswervingly, let us consider how to spur one another on, let us not give up meaning together, let us, let us, let us, let us. Redundancy in scripture is always intentional and purposeful. It's demonstrating here how important it is to be intentional. It's so important to be intentional because we leak perspective. And he knows this is going to be hard to do. And, he, and he's not wanting us to be surprised it's hard to do. But it's good hard. So 20 years ago, I spent an entire night talking to some men out of murder. And those men weren't believers at that time. A month ago, I saw some of that rage rise up and then quickly die down as gospel perspective took over. And the gospel is the power of God. And I'm absolutely convinced of that. And we have the great privilege and responsibility to lead people to nurture their confident hope in the gospel. So this is not, none of this training is ever, you must, it's always let us, let us, let us. Let us for the glory of God and the good of others draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to our hope. Let us consider how to spur one another on. Let us not give up mean together. Let us encourage one another. And so, how do, Terry, how do I do this practically this year? You'll figure it out. <laughs> this Tonight is not nuts and bolts of leadership. Tonight is the passion, the fire, the heart of spiritual leadership. The nuts and bolts are the easy part. They may seem like the hard part. But the key part is keeping that fire in your belly of spiritual leadership. And that's what I hope to happen tonight. So, Rodney, come on up. We're going we're gonna to finish this time with um, worship and prayer. And then it, it won't go on very long because we want to leave time for you to go out and let us eat ice cream together. <laughs> but I want you to, I'd like you to, and I know it's hard. Friday night is probably the worst possible time to engage at this level. But this is what we got. But if you can ask God for help and settle in and worship and pray and let God put that fire inside of you for spiritual leadership.